Please turn to Acts chapter 17. The New Testament book of the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 17. We'll be reading verses 31 through 34. We're going to focus our attention mostly on verse 30. But I also always like to remember the context. Acts 17, beginning at 21. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of you, your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he, was, he has a fixed day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, We will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among, also, among whom also were Dionysius, the Aragapite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Father, as we ask for your light and your wisdom from your word and truth, may we be nourished in soul and spirit and mind. Help us to understand your word as we bow to its authority in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Those of you who remember last week's message, Paul is speaking at Aragopic. Areo, forgive me, Aragopagus. It is a hilltop, a rocky hilltop, perhaps even a, a large stone hill that was northwest of the city of Athens, 
not far from the Agora or the shopping mall, the trades mall there in the city. The Romans used to call it Mars Hill. And we remember last week we talked about some of the ministries, modern-day Christian ministries who have named themselves after Mars Hill because this was a place of evangelism and a very place of very wise counsel where Paul saw an idol to an unknown God and used that as a door to walk through to share the gospel with them. If you've ever done any research about Aragopagus or Mars Hill, you can go online and see the place even today. It doesn't look anything like it did then. It's just a big, craggy rock of stubble. What once was topped with altars, with, with structures that paid tribute to the gods of Greeks, is now pretty much a ruin, about a third to a half an acre. But in Paul's day, it was an impressive hilltop. Doing a little research, I found out that there are approximately 50 gods that the ancient Greeks and Romans worshipped. I'm not quite sure if there were that many altars to each one of their gods on this hill. But I'm sure there were some rooftops and some pavilions providing shade, a place of conversation, because the Bible says the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling and hearing something new. And it was on that hilltop where they would go and gather and discuss their philosophy. We looked last week at the Epicureans and the Stoics and how they used to argue. And Paul very surgically brought the two together for some conversation. But on top of this hill, there were altars to Zeus, Apollo, Hermes, Aphrodite, Athens, Ares, Artemis, and many more. It's really quite interesting that these gods, you and I know that they were fantasies for man's mind. Ancients made them up. We've got to believe in something. Let's believe in these. And if you read about them, each and every one of them, Zeus, Apollo, Hermes, Aphrodite, they all had their own special superpower. And I use that word deliberately. They all had their unique responsibility. And it's really quite interesting in a world today that believes they're pretty much this world that does not believe God exists. The secular world does not believe God exists. That's why they call this the postmodern age. There is no right. There is no wrong. Everything is relative. God is not there. He does not care. Well, they're wrong. But even in this postmodern age, 
we see something kind of interesting happening. People seem to be fascinated with comic book heroes. They're making movies out of them. What many of us, my age, enjoyed reading as a fun thing growing up, comic books they've made into, I mean, there's even deep backstories. In each one of these comic book heroes has their own superpower. Why do you think that is? Everyone, whether they believe in God or not, everyone has a sense of what is right and what is wrong. Everyone has a sense that evil does exist in this world. And everyone understands that it takes superhuman power to overcome the evil in this world. And this secular world who does not believe God is satisfied in their fantasy world thinking of some superhuman being somewhere can handle it all. I'm comparing this to the ancients, Zeus and Apollo, Hermes and Aphrodite. Those were pigments of someone's imagination and people began to bow down to them. If you've ever read of, a, of any of the historic, historical fantasy, may I use the term, of the ancient gods, it was like a soap opera. And it was really weird and in many times sometimes a little perverse. But these were the people, these were the, create, these were the idols, these were the gods that the Greeks and the Romans used to worship. The Apostle Paul, that day, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Look at all these gods. And passing by, I saw one. You want to be sure you're not missing anyone. Here is an idol to the unknown God. Let me tell you about him. That's where we want to focus this morning. Not just about him, but this you and I know who he is. You and I know what he is. But we want to talk about God's presence in man's rebellion. We also want to remember God's patience, God's provision, and God's command. And we'll try and take it all out of this text, most of it out of verse 30. Paul was telling these astute philosophers of Athens that they were missing something obvious and very important. The God Paul proclaimed was superior to all because he was supremely other. He was not like us. The gods that the ancient Greeks imagined were pretty much like we were, except stronger and mightier. But God is not like us. He is other. He is eternal. He is not made. He is not created. He has always been there. He did not come from the imaginations of men. He was omnipresent. He was everywhere at every time. 
He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He is omniscient. He is all-knowing. When we talk about God's presence, we need to remember that every one of you or every one of us owes everything to God. Verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by, ha- by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. When you think of God and how he has made all things, even you, And to know that he is everywhere at all times, you need to be very careful that you do not hold his presence in contempt. Do not forget that he is there, ever. Always know that he is nearby, even when life gets difficult. Hold no contempt for God's presence. And you might ask, well, when does that ever happen? Most of us who profess faith in Christ do not deliberately hold God in contempt. But we often do hold him in contempt out of neglect or by entertaining sinful distraction. little song we learned in Sunday school when I was a child, be careful little eyes what you see. Be careful little ears where you go or what you hear. Be careful little feet where you go for your father up above is looking down in love. It's teaching children that God is everywhere and knows everything that we do, everything that we see, everything that we say. And sometimes we just get so tempted we can't Stand it. We just give in. We don't even resist, forgetting that God is there. And if your Holy Spirit, if, if the Holy Spirit is in you as it should be in every believer, you're taking the Lord with you. You're holding Him in contempt. You're forgetting that he is there. Every one of us owes everything to God. Do not hold his presence in contempt in your life. If you've ever been so tempted that you give in to sin, your reasoning, God's just not there, he won't notice, but he is there, and he does notice. If you were in an earthly court, it would be civil court, federal court, I don't care. If you were in an earthly court and an earthly judge was presiding on the bench over a case that you were just listening to and you happened to be back in the back and you started talking with your friend and snickering and talking and just chatting, that court, that judge, I know for, I'm, I'm kind of like a, I'm not a judge, but I'm, I'm up high like a judge would be, and I could see each and every one of you. 
And I have noticed sometimes I see somebody whispering and talking. And it's okay if it's just brief. You might be asking a question or something. But if a judge in a courtroom saw someone continuing to talk and snicker and laugh and being a distracting, being a distraction, that judge would have every right and would very likely ask the bailiff to escort those people out of the courtroom. Because earthly judges in earthly courts do not tolerate a loss of control in their courtroom. If you think God is any less, you'd best think again. In fact, an earthly judge in an earthly court could find someone who is, who is distracting the rest of the people in his courtroom for contempt. So we don't want to have any contempt before our Lord and our Savior, before our God and our Father. Verse 26 of her text, He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of, of their dwelling place, that they, he's done this for a reason, that they should seek God in a hope that they might, as blind as they are, feel their way toward him and find him. Yet, he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Do not hold the presence of the Lord God in contempt. Even if you don't believe in the Lord as your Savior, he is there. Do not be in contempt of God's presence because when we do, do so, we are in rebellion against man. Verse 30. The times of ignorance God overlooked. Let's pause right there. In this verse, we see that the Apostle Paul is assuming that these men have a question. They haven't asked it yet, but he's assuming that's what they're thinking. And Paul offers them the answer. The times of ignorance God overlooks. Paul is assuming that the question they are thinking about and the question they want to ask is that if, if this God exists and he is as powerful as you say he is and he has made all things and he wants us to find him, why hasn't he done anything about all that is wrong or unjust in this world? Scripture says, the times of ignorance God overlooks, overlooked. The word in the original language, ignorance, agnoia, they just didn't know. And overlooked, Hooper Idone. I really like the King James translation of this verse, of this word. God winked at. Doesn't necessarily mean that he 
favored it or it was okay, all of the sin and rebellion of man. It's just mean that I see what you're doing. I'm not going to do anything about it right now. The wrong in this world is not because God is not there. God has been patient and gracious with men. God has been patient and gracious with the nations. God has been patient and gracious with the peoples of this world because he wants them all to repent. Suppose there was a young mother who had a child, just a little toddler. And this young mother found out that the aunt, she has an aunt who lives far away. She hasn't seen since she was a little toddler. And she got the opportunity to journey all the way across the country to see this aunt. And this aunt, this fine elderly senior lady, was wealthy and she had many nice things in her home crystal and porcelain and nice you know girly things that a fine lady would enjoy having and this young mother brought her toddler to her home And this child, all of a sudden, gets excited and starts running all over the house, touching everything and pulling everything off the shelves and looking at everything. And this aunt keeps smiling and is very gracious and gives the child cookies and milk and is kind. I don't want to diminish what God has done, but he has been very patient with this world, overlooking the sin of this world. We inflict pain upon one another, and one day we shall surely pay for it all, but he has been very gracious. It's not that he did not care. It's not that he was not aware. It's not that he is not there. He has been very gracious with this world. There's an apologeticist, Dr. Frank Turek, who lives in Charlotte, North Carolina. He does quite a lot of lectures on college campuses, defending the faith, defending scripture, defending the existence of God. I remember watching one time someone came up. He always has questions and answers after his lectures. Someone came up to the microphone and asked him, well, why doesn't God do anything about all the suffering in this world, all of what is wrong in this world? And Frank Turek said, well, he certainly could that. Let me ask you this. What if he started with you? And the room got a room full of college kids got so quiet you could hear a pen drop because they got it. They understood what he was asking or what he was saying. If God's going to fix all of the suffering in this world, he could start with you. Then you'd be in trouble.
Do not be in contempt of God's presence. Remember that man has been a rebellious person ever since his fall in the garden. Every nation, every person born has been in rebellion and continues to be in rebellion. Do not be in contempt of God's patience. Do not be in contempt of God's patience. I can go from one example to the next all the way through scripture about how patient God has been with the sinfulness of man. Let me just take you one for time's sake. You remember the accounts of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Gospels. All of the miracles he performed. All of the righteousness he demonstrated. All of the love that he shared. All of the healing that he performed. He went to the cross and died. And was buried. And rose again. And then stayed with the people for 40 days after the resurrection, continuing to teach and to preach. And of the day he ascended, Matthew 24, verse 16 says, 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which he was direct, Jesus had directed them. I mean, he's about to ascend into heaven the last time. And the disciples come to where he was going to leave them and give them the great commission. And when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. That scripture is one of the ones that has always been a barb in my heart. How in the world, after seeing everything that Christ has done and witnessing with their own eyes how he came out of the grave, they see him on Mount Moriah. Is this the Lord Jesus or did I just have a bad taco at lunch? Some doubted. If I were the Lord at that time, I would say, that's it, we're done here. Judgment's coming right now. But God was patient. The Son of God was patient. Do not hold God's patience in contempt. God's patience demonstrates to us God's self-control, God's restraint, God's grace for God's purpose. That's why 2 Peter 3 says, Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We see a lot of teaching in the church, modern church today, that does not call anyone to repent. But it is vital to the health of a true church. God has called you to be holy. And the Lord Jesus himself said, be holy, for I am holy. 
We are to be like Christ. And he calls us to repentance. Romans 3, 24 through 26. We are justified by the grace of Christ. It is a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put toward put forward as a propitiation by his blood. That means substitutionary atonement. And we are to receive this by faith. That is to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, in his divine patience, in his divine long-suffering, in his divine grace, Scripture says he passed over former sins. He passed over, in in other words, he didn't judge them finally then. He was waiting on man to repent. He passed over, he never dismissed them. He will still hold sinners accountable to their rebellion, but he has given them the opportunity to repent. He delays his judgment, but his judgment will not be delayed much longer. Do not be in contempt of God's presence. Remember that man is rebellious. Do not hold God's patience in contempt nor do not be ungrateful or hold in contempt his provision. We can all acknowledge and understand that he has provided so many things for us. We have good health, we have homes, we have food, we have clothing. We understand as faithful Christians, by his providence, he provides it all. He gives us the strength where we might earn earn enough to keep our homes together, our families together, and provide for their needs. We give him glory for all of that. The times of ignorance God overlooked, verse 30 of our text, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Christ has been provided for you. He is your provision for salvation. We read that in Romans 3. He is your provision of righteousness. He provides to you clean robes, a cleansed heart, a perfect soul. In him, trusting and in the gift that is given through him, you find, you are found, a better way to say it, you are found in the eyes of the divine judge of this universe, pure and righteous and spotless. And that is amazing. Do not hold God's presence in contempt. He is everywhere in all places. Remember that man's heart tends to rebel always, even after we have found faith in him. We still struggle with it. I still struggle with it. 
But we need to build strength into that faith where we may trust him in all things and in every way. Do not hold God's patience in contempt. Do not be frustrated thinking that he has forgotten about this world. We see everything going crazy. That is a fulfillment of his, his judgment. He has told man again and again and again in Scripture, if you forget me, I will give you over to your own sin and rebellion. That is what you see going on in the world, and it is worldwide even now. Do not let that bring doubt to your faith. Do not let that bring any fear or anxiety to your faith. Let it strengthen your faith. And each and every one of you needs to stand like Daniel. Do not hold God's provision in contempt. Christ has saved you. He has redeemed you. He has made you your own. Rejoice in what he has done. Do not hold your Savior and your Lord in contempt. Be faithful to him always. And do not hold his command in contempt. We've been talking about it. Let me finish with this. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands. God's command must not be held in contempt by any of us. He commands all people everywhere to repent, to change, to turn around. You're going one way away from God, repenting, turning away from the world, and turning toward God. There is repentance. It is a change of mind. It is a change of heart. It is a change of purpose in your life. Romans 2, 4. Do you presume on the riches of the kindness and forbearance and patience of God, not knowing that his kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? There is so much he gives you each and every day, and you think you've earned it. You think you've owned it. You think you've one, you, you're the one who thinks you've, you, you've achieved it on your own. But in a puff of his breath, it could all be gone. Do not presume on the riches and the, of, the kind, of his kindness and forbearance and patience. God's kindness... God's long-suffering is meant to lead you to repentance. Titus 2, 11 through 15. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing and the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, a people who are zealous for good works, 
declare these things. Exhort, rebuke with all authority and let no one disregard you. We are called to be faithful to the Lord and we are called to share the gospel with others. Let us be faithful in doing that. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, we are thankful that you have given us one another. We are thankful for your faithful servants who teach us and lead us and encourage us. But Lord, most of all, we are thankful for your word and its truth, for it teaches us so much about ourselves and about your truth and light. Help us, Father, to be faithful to you as we live for Jesus, your Son. Amen. As we continue to worship this morning,